0: Thank you. Uh, would you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, please? New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. While you're doing that, welcome, Kim. Nice of you to come up from Arizona to worship with us. Good to see you. We also have, uh, thanks to Hockey, some uh, camp friends here with us today, so we welcome them. And that reminds me, check out Facebook because the new camp video is out. And so make sure that you check that out. So those are just a couple welcomes and, and announcements there. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship with these songs that sing of your glory, these songs that allow us to draw attention to your glory, your excellence, your greatness, and these songs that remind us of what you have done in our lives through Jesus and his work on the cross and in his resurrection. Father, thank you for your salvation. I pray that you would guide us now as we look at your word. Help us to see what your Apostle Paul was saying to brothers and sisters a long time ago in Corinth, and yet are still important to us. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to break from how I usually do this as we come into this part of uh, 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 3. Uh, we'll look at the last part and then the first part of chapter 4. Usually the pattern is, is that we will go to the text and we will read it and then we'll talk about what's there. And... uh what it says, what it means, and how it applies. Today I'm going to kind of turn that around a little bit. I'm going to start with uh, sharing you with you what the text says before we even look at it. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I have seen there, uh, just observations of what is in this passage. Then we're going to read it. And what I'm hoping is that by pointing out to you what you're going to see and hear when we look at the text, it will make sense to you a little more when I read it, because um, all of the things I'll point out will come together as we read. And then I'm going to pick out two uh, big ideas in the text that we'll just end with and, and focus on. So. You can follow along on your study sheet because this is there. I want to point out to you some of the things that I have seen in this text that are there and that we'll see as we read it a little later. One of the things I notice is that in this text, the word glory or glorious is repeated often. Anybody who would read this text would see that. They would notice it. In fact, 14 different times in our passage, You have the word glory or glorious. On your study sheet, you'll see uh, the English version of the Hebrew and Greek that's translated glory. Glory means, take your pick of these words. Glory means brightness, splendor, greatness, majesty, excellence. Glory also means brilliance high status or rank, and great weight. Uh, In other words, glory points to something that is very heavy in importance, in greatness, of great weight. That's glory. Um, In this passage, Paul talks about glory in a number of ways. He talks about the glory of The Old Covenant, and we'll talk about that a little more. He talks about the glory of the New Covenant. He talks about the glory of God that was displayed in Jesus when he was here. And he talks about the glory of the gospel of Jesus. So there's a lot of glory here. Maybe you've been in churches where every once in a while you'll hear someone shout out, glory. Right? Uh, There's a lot of glory in this passage. And so that's a big um, theme as we go through this. And you'll notice it as we read the text. Also, I noticed that in this passage, we have references to the Old Testament. So here comes a passage that reminds us it's important to have some knowledge of the Old Testament because it's referred to often in the New. And in this passage, it will be there. Uh, Paul is going to bring up Moses. And the Israelites, he's going to bring up um, the Old Testament law, the commands. And he's also going to talk about a veil, which uh, is referred to in the end of Exodus 34. So there is some Old Testament uh, reference here in this text. Even toward the end of our text, like chapter 4, 5, or 6, he even goes back to creation. And he talks about God creating light just by speaking. So there's some Old Testament references here in this passage. A big part of the first half of what we're going to read, we find Paul contrasting what's called the Old Covenant with what's called the New Covenant. If you have a New Living translation, uh, I think they call it the Old Way and the New Way. The old way being the old covenant, how to know God, how to be right with God. Basically, it was through keeping the commands, the law, the rituals, the sacrifices, the traditions, that type of thing. And then there's the new way, the new covenant, which is about uh, faith in Jesus Christ and his work. And that that's how you come to know God and have a relationship with him and be right with him. Um, if you just drop down a little bit, I even gave you some of the contrasts that we will find and hear when I read the passage. So maybe follow along with me here. Uh, we're going to find that the old covenant, the old way, came with glory, and it really did come with glory, brilliance, greatness. I mean, the old covenant was was given to Moses on the mountain and. Um, When he came down from the mountain with God's commands and his laws, his face was shining because he'd been with God, and there was even lightning and fire and all kinds of commotion. And so the old covenant came with glory, but so did the new covenant. The new covenant came when Jesus came, and he took on flesh, and he lived among us, and we saw glory as he taught and as he performed miracles And then after going to the cross and being buried, he rose again. Talk about glory. Defeating death. And so both of those covenants came with glory. But they're different. The old covenant, Paul says, brought death and condemnation. Because in the old covenant, to be right with God, you had to keep the commands. You had to to keep the law. And as Paul says in Romans 3, the law was just there to convince you you're a sinner, that you can't keep the law, that you can't keep the commandments. You're a sinner. And so in that way, the consequences of your sin became so prevalent, and the law became a, the old covenant became a condemning thing, a thing that reminded you of what you had to look forward to as far as the wages of sin. But he says the new covenant... It's about life and it's about righteousness, not condemnation and death, life and righteousness. He says that the old covenant eventually faded away. It had its limits. It had its expiration date, I suppose you could say. It it was just there temporarily to prepare us for the new covenant, for the new way. And the new covenant never goes away. The new covenant, Paul says, lasts forever. Another difference he talks about is this veil idea. In, in, in Exodus 34, in the giving of the new, old covenant, there was something to do with a veil, uh, literally and figuratively, uh, if you read the end of Exodus 34, you'll find that when Moses would go up on the mountain to get the commands, the laws <clears throat> from from God, he was in the presence of God and the glory of God. And when he came down, his face was shining. You know, um, those of you—sorry, I'm going to pick on you, Carol—but those of you who know Carol, when she came back from Panama, it was like her face was shining. You know, uh, this experience she had had with the Lord. Well, this is even beyond that. I mean, Moses was with God personally, the glory of God, and his face was shining when he came down in some way. And as soon as he would give them what God had given to him, the commands or, or uh, pieces of the law, he would put a veil over his face so that the people couldn't see uh, the rest of the glory there until it faded away. Then he'd go back up the mountain or he'd go somewhere and meet up with God and God would give him more of the law. He would come down, his face is shining. And so a veil would be put over his face after he gave them the message until it faded away. And so there, there was a veil involved, literally. But there was also a veil that he's going to talk about that um, kind of covered up the Jewish people as they tried to follow the Old Covenant, Um, there was a limit. There was like a a distance between them and God. Uh, It was like um, keeping the commandments and keeping the law was almost impersonal. It wasn't real personal. It was just a matter of doing what the law said or not doing what the law said. Keeping the rituals, keeping the traditions, doing the sacrifices. And there was something missing there. It was like there, there was a veil where they weren't understanding totally and they weren't experiencing this personal thing with God. It was like there was a veil over their eyes and over their minds. So Paul talks about that difference. He says that when a person comes to the Lord in the New Covenant, trusts Christ for salvation, the veil is taken off and it becomes personal. Your relationship with God becomes personal. It becomes inner, not just outward keeping of laws. The spirit begins to work in your life on the inside. And then he concludes by saying the old covenant was glorious. It was a glorious thing. But he says the new covenant is even more glorious. In fact, he says there's no comparison. There's no comparison between the old and the new. The New Covenant is much better. And so we see that in the first half of our reading that we'll do in a little while. Let's go back to the things that I noticed. First of all, after the old New Covenant contrast, in this passage, we're going to see two places where you have the word therefore. We always want to notice that, right? We have the term therefore because it's kind of summarizing something. And that's twice in the passage. We'll see it when we read verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He's just talked about how much greater the new covenant is than the old. And he says, because of that, we have boldness to go share it. We have boldness to go talk about it. Because it's so much greater than the old. Remember, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. His ministry used to be the old covenant, right? That's what he taught. That's what he was committed to. The Old Testament law, the commands to get to know God by obeying them. That was Paul's ministry. But after he met Christ, his ministry is the new covenant. The new way. And it's greater than the old. And so Paul is saying because of that, we have boldness to go out there and talk about it. We have boldness to go out there and preach this new way to new God, know God through Christ. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, you have therefore again. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We're not going to give up. We don't lose heart. As difficult as it is, because of the glory of this new message, this new covenant, we're going to just keep going. And so Paul says the greatness, the glory of this new covenant, this new way through Jesus to salvation makes us bold. We're not going to hide it. And it keeps us from losing heart. keeps us going. We're not going to give up. So we'll see that, and as we read it, we'll see how it uh, blends in with what he's saying. Also, I notice that there are references to criticism, and, of course, our our title of this whole study is Criticism, Conviction, and Concern. And so all along the way, Paul will make references to the criticism and false accusations that have been there toward him. And he'll mention that again in this when we're reading along. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, uh, you know, we, we will not lose heart with this ministry. Rather, verse 2, we will... Renounce secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. It's, it's almost like those were some of the criticisms that Paul had to, had to deal with. People were saying that, um, that he had some secret and shameful ways, um, that he was deceiving, that he distorted God's word. That he wasn't always telling the truth. And so he, he kind of puts in some words here saying just the opposite. We don't distort. We teach the truth. We don't deceive. There's nothing secret about our ministry. And then later in uh, verse 5, chapter 4, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Very possibly some were saying he, he's all about Paul. His preaching is just about himself. He's arrogant. He says, no, I don't preach myself. I preach Jesus. And so he does plug in something about these criticisms in this passage as we're reading along. In chapter 4, we'll notice that he brings up the devil. He calls him the God of this age. And he talks about one of the works that the devil does when the glory of the gospel is presented to people so we'll see how he says that in chapter 4. And then also in chapter 4, he talks about the gospel, the gospel of Christ, and the glory of the gospel, um, what Jesus did for us that brings salvation. So those are some of the things that we'll see as we go through and read this text. Okay, so now you already know what's there without reading it. That's kind of opposite of the way we usually do it. We read it and then we notice what's there. I've told you what I see there. Now we're going to read it. And hopefully as I read it, it's going to be more understandable because you'll be hearing things I've already said. I hope this works. Okay. I I don't know. I hope it works. So uh, to maybe help it work, I'm going to come down here. I'm going to walk a little bit as I read Just in case you don't have a Bible and you're not following along, then I want you to look at me and I'll keep moving so you don't get bored and just listen listen to me as I'm reading. And what I want you to do is be listening for these different things that I just pointed out because they're all there. I want you to listen for how Paul puts them all together and how he uh, presents these things as one passage. Now, there are going to be... People listening to this at home, they are going to have to pretend that I'm walking around uh, reading this. So if they're in their living room, they have to kind of imagine that I'm there in their living room walking in front of them as they sit on the couch and trying to really listen to this. Um, If they're in their kitchen, they have to kind of imagine me walking around their island or their table and reading this. And really listen carefully. If they're listening to this in their car, uh, I'm not going to be walking around. So imagine, they can imagine I'm sitting in the passenger seat and I'm reading to them. Okay? And they're listening to what Paul says. And they keep their eye on the road. All right. So with all that said, I'm just going to read the passage. And I want you to just listen carefully and listen for the things I told you are there to see how Paul puts it all together. Starting in chapter 3, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I don't know if that helped. If you could catch and see the things that I pointed out ahead of time and how Paul put them all together in this one passage. Paul was really excited about the new covenant, the new way. He had spent most of his life, up until this point, committed to and teaching the old way. And once Jesus got hold of him, He became a minister of the new way. And understanding how much greater and how much glorious the new way through Jesus was than the old way through keeping the law was, he said, we're bold. We're not going to hide anything. There's not going to be any veil over us. We're going to give you the whole thing. And he said, we're not going to lose heart. We're not going to give up. As hard as it gets, as much as we're criticized, as often as we're accused, we're not going to lose heart. We're going to keep going as we minister the new way, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's basically the passage. I want to end by just talking about two big ideas in the passage. We're just going to focus on them for a little while. And they're actually written out for you on your sheet. So let me read them and then comment on them. The first one comes from the last part of chapter 3. Okay? So here's a little explanation of that big idea in the last part of chapter 3. What I think Paul is saying there is that when someone turns to the Lord The veil is taken away from their hearts and minds, and the Spirit of God begins to transform them into the likeness of Christ, which then becomes a reflection of God's glory to the world. Now, what does that mean? I think what Paul is saying is in this new way, this new covenant, that involves faith in Jesus Christ, when we turn to him, It's like this veil is taken from us, this veil that kept us from understanding, this veil that kept us from seeing all the truth, from um, having this desire and understanding our need for Jesus. It's like when we turn to Him, the veil is lifted and, and we're freed from that, and that allows the Spirit to start working in us, start to make us more and more like Jesus, who displayed the glory of God. And as Jesus' character and his likeness is more and more developed in us, we then can begin to reflect that in our world. And we who have turned to the Lord can reflect the glory of God wherever we go. Because the Spirit of God is transforming us into Christ's likeness which is part of the glory. And like we said last week in the whole idea of fragrance and odor and aroma, we represent Christ. And I think that what Paul is saying is that really couldn't happen under the old law. That really couldn't happen. But when you turn to Christ, something happens. Something happens inside, and the Spirit begins to work and make you more and more like Jesus. And then you can reflect Him and His glory to this world. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you remember a time when you were religious, okay? And knowing God was important in some form. And being right with Him was something you thought about. But the approach that you had was to turn to something like the old covenant, the old way, thinking that keeping some commands and keeping some laws and following some traditions and rituals would help you know God and be right with Him. And yet, if you're honest, you probably remember back how it was almost like in those days there was a veil over your head, like something was missing that you weren't getting it all. There was something else that you weren't finding in this effort. It's like your mind was dull. (laughs) Your mind couldn't comprehend, and yet you knew there must be something else, because I don't feel close to God. I still feel distant. It doesn't seem real personal here. And then you remember a time When whoever it was, however God chose to do it, you became aware of the new covenant, the new way, where Jesus made it possible for you, by faith in him, to be freed from that and to enter into a very personal relationship where you didn't feel distant from God, where you really had a relationship with him. And you've experienced him by his spirit changing you. And you're a changed person from the inside. Anybody relate to that? So you can kind of uh, identify with what it's like to move from the old way to the new way. And feel the freedom of that veil being lifted. And feel. Experience the glory of a personal relationship that's not distant from a God who just wants you to obey some commands. Maybe you can identify with that. If you're still wrapped up in some old way thinking, maybe that sounds appealing to you. This idea of placing your faith in Christ so that veil can be taken away and you can enter a personal relationship with Jesus that brings about change in you as you become more like Jesus and then can reflect his glory in the world. So that's kind of the last part in a lot of words of chapter 3. In chapter 4, Here's the, the second big idea that's similar, except what it says is it presents a problem that can take place if you are desiring to turn to the Lord and experience this new way of salvation, this work of the Spirit. Because there are forces opposing you doing that, and Paul brings that up. Uh, here's how I would word it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so gloriously life-changing that the devil works to blind the minds of unbelievers, keeping them from grasping and believing the value and need for God's salvation in their lives. Now, all of that is just how I would word chapter four, starting in verse three. The way Paul puts it is that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, that would be the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul says there is a a resistance to turning to the Lord, turning to Jesus. And the resistance comes from the enemy, from the God of the sage, from the devil. And he has this way of blinding the eyes of our mind. And the word blind there, uh, speaks more of, uh, causing your, your sight or your understanding to be smoky, to be blurred, to be dull, to be unclear. And Paul says the devil does that. He, he, he blinds your eyes, your mind, to keep you from understanding, to keep you from seeing the value and the need for this salvation through Jesus. He keeps you from getting it and turning to Christ. Um, you can look it up sometime, Luke chapter 8, um, Mark 4, where Jesus tells his parable about the sower and the seed. And he talks about you know, the part in the story where the seed is sown on a path, hard ground, and immediately the birds come and take it away. They eat it. And he says that represents when the gospel, when the, when the word about Jesus is presented, right away Satan comes and takes it away so that you don't believe. And that's what Paul is talking about here. The enemy does not want us to understand the need and the value for salvation in Jesus. And he will blur our minds. He will make it smoky and unclear so we don't get it. It's kind of like spiritual cataracts. You know, it seems like it's the season for cataracts in our church right now. (laughs) Doesn't it seem like that? Everybody's getting their cataracts taken care of. And I'm told mine is coming up in a year or two. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the same. I think what Paul is saying is that when you're presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the unbeliever is presented with it, Satan gets in there and he kind of gives you these spiritual cataracts. He blurs things. He makes it smoky and unclear, dull. So you can't really see and grasp the truth and the need and the value of coming to Jesus. Um, I had to look this up before I experienced it, but concerning cataracts, um, it says that the way our eyes work is that light, light comes into our eyes through the lens of our eyes, and then an image, whatever we're looking at, is reflected on our retina. So light comes in through the lens as we look at something, and then... The reflection of that appears on my retina, and I see it. But when cataracts develop, the cataracts cloud the lens. So there's not enough light coming in to cast a clear image on the retina for us to see. Boy, don't I sound like a doctor. But that's what it is. Uh, what happens is that the image becomes dull and unclear and smoky hazy can you relate because there's not enough light coming in to reflect and give you that clear image and i hear that people who go through the procedure for cataracts afterwards say wow the grass is so much greener the sky is so much more clear Colored TV is wonderful. And they'll talk about all these things that didn't change because they had cataract surgery. What changed is that their seeing was clear. Enough light came in to make the image clear. And they see it as it's meant to be. And Paul says, watch out. When the gospel is presented to the unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, you don't know Jesus, whenever the truth, the gospel of Jesus is presented to you, Satan's going to be in there. He's going to try and give you spiritual cataracts. He's going to try and keep as much light of that truth as possible from getting in so that it's fuzzy and it's smoky and it's unclear and you just won't be able to step out and believe and grasp the importance and the value and the need. That you have for Jesus. But hey. If you can break through that. And turn to Jesus. The veil is lifted. No more spiritual cataracts. The vision is clear. And the spirit of God will begin to do a work in you. To change you into the likeness of Christ. So that you now can be a person who reflects his glory. In this world. How did he see all that in there? I don't know, but that's, that's what I think Paul is saying. You know, for sure, you know, he, he's trying again to keep them understanding that he's sold out on this ministry he has. He's all in in this ministry. And this ministry of this new covenant, which is so much better than the old, um, It makes him bold. And he's going to share it boldly. But he's not going to lose heart either. He's going to keep going. Because that message of the new way through Jesus is so much more glorious than the old that he was committed to before. And in presenting that, he talks about the value of turning to Jesus and the value of breaking through what the devil is trying to do to keep us from Jesus. And so, I guess I just want to conclude by asking you to really consider, if you're a person who has not turned your life over to Jesus, maybe you've somehow got caught up in thinking this old way will work. You know, just keep some commandments. Just try to be good. Um, you know, Go through the right things that I'm told to do and I'll know Jesus, I'll know salvation, all that. Um, I would guess it still feels rather distant and impersonal to you. And it's hard because you always blow it. Well, I'm going to tell you what Paul was telling people. There is a new way. There is a different way. And it's through Jesus. And it's based on what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for your sins. He died for you. So you could be forgiven. He rose again to show you the power to give resurrected life to anyone who trusts in him. And when you turn to him, the veil is lifted. And the spirit of God begins to work in your life to make you more and more like Jesus. So you can reflect him in this world. There's going to be resistance. The devil doesn't want you to turn to Christ. He's going to try and blind your eyes and make it. Make it fuzzy and, and and smoky and keep you from understanding the importance and the value of what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for you. But ask God to just help you. Ask God to just help you resist that and step out and place your faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for the kind of life he wants to create in you. Um, it's a glorious life. It's not an easy life. It's a glorious life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that through all these words, something simple and something needed and necessary came through to someone here today. The need for life, for true life, genuine life in Jesus. The need for a new life, only found in Jesus. A need to respond to the gospel of Jesus, turn to him. Father, if that's what you're doing in someone's life, I pray that even now you would just help them break through whatever Satan is trying to keep them from doing and help them to trust you, to present their lives to you and receive Jesus. Seek his forgiveness. And Father, would you then forgive them and lift that veil and begin to work in their hearts to give them the life you intend them to have Make them like Jesus more and more. That the things they start reflecting in this world are the things of Jesus. And Father, I pray that if they need help, you would just move them to talk to somebody. But Father, may people turn to you. May people receive you. Because you are the only way salvation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, as long as you brought it up, one of the things that um, that happened when I was in Panama was that I had time to really stand and focus in God's presence and be in A huge work in my heart in my life. And there's there's a few days we all celebrate every year, you know, our birthdays, all that kind of thing. For me, I celebrate my birthday, but a bigger day for that is my sobriety day. The third, but the most important, in fact, will be tomorrow. And that's March 7th. That's the day that I came into that personal relationship with Jesus. And I am so, I just want, I'm just here to tell you that it doesn't ever. It just keeps getting better and better and better, and that picture gets clearer and clearer the more light comes in, Um, the more boldness that happens.